We are fast approaching the level at which all the easy benefits of technology implementations have been achieved. That's a quote from our recent Infosys Knowledge Institute 2020 Digital Radar Report. Lindsay, what's your view on that? It's a really interesting read. It's the latest analysis from uh, the late 2019, where over a thousand business leaders were interviewed to assess their digital transformation progress. I think one of the interesting findings is this the third version of this analysis. And in it, we kind of categorize companies as watchers, explorers, and visionaries in terms of where they are on that progress. And I think, you know, the report, basically, the, one of the key findings is this notion of companies being a little stuck in the middle. They've made some progress leveraging technology. You know, they made improvements around productivity and efficiency, and they've obviously removed costs. And, you know, about 68% of those interviewed are in that position, but they've kind of hit a digital maturity ceiling. You know, they've gone so far, but now they can't make this leap to, you know, kind of vision. And that's what we'll be exploring in today's conversation. Just for our audience benefit, we are remotely recording the podcast, given what's going in the world with coronavirus right now. So we don't stop, we keep going. And the power of digital tools allows us to do this. So welcome to this Knowledge Institute podcast, the Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future work. I'm Anand Verma. I'm European Head of Digital Services for Infosys and also founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics. We're here with Lindsay Wall, General Manager of Europe at Brilliant Basics, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Lindsay to this remote podcast. Lindsay, over to you to talk about your really interesting background. So as you said, I am General Manager for Brilliant Basics. In terms of how I kind of arrived at where I am today and and my career, I'd like to think there was some deep-seated strategy. But to be honest, it's largely because I think I've followed my own nose. And for me, that's been following the emergence of digital and the subsequent shift from brands making people want things through advertising and communications to making things that people want through customer-centered products and services. I love that phrase. It's props to John Wiltshire at the Smithery for that quote. And my focus is on helping clients with everything that entails in terms of how organizations go about that change in the organization. In terms of my responsibilities, three key areas really, people, so ensuring that we're a people first business and we very much believe in, you know, if we make our people happy and motivated at work, they do brilliant things for our clients. Product in terms of ensuring the satisfaction of our clients that we're pushing their businesses and we're helping them transform and deliver against those journeys. And importantly, you know, planet as well. So what are we doing as an organization, you know, bears in mind everything that's going on with the planet as an overall and how can we be more sustainable and how can we help our clients on that journey as well? Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay, let's go back to the topic of the discussion, which is the report that we are talking about from Infosys Knowledge Institute. You know, what's your view on now that the easy benefits of technology implementation have been achieved and you've categorized some of the clients in those three categories you're talking about? Can we just go into a little bit more detail into those categories and how, you know, someone like Brilliant Basics and Infosys are actually helping our clients face these challenges and the type of categories that we're looking at as well from this report's perspective. If we think about, you know, the report, I think we're almost at a phase now where everyone is looking at um, how they can leverage the benefits of technology to increase efficiency. I think that that period has kind of gone and happened over the last sort of three to five years. We still work with clients who are, you know, sort of beginning or or halfway through that journey and we help them with you know the roadmaps to see the benefit or ensuring that we can implement technology in a customer-centered way rather than just you know technology for technology's sake i think the interesting period now is is around supporting explorers right through to visionaries so you know for an explorer 
you know, what are the things that they need to do that, you know, really, really sees the benefit of being customer centered. And, and for us, and especially for visionaries, a lot of what we're doing is aligning kind of agile ways of working, helping clients become customer centric and ensuring that the technology is adopted and implemented in a, in a customer centric way. So for us, it's the alignment of kind of business technology and design and all of that with a kind of laser focus of how it affects both customers and increasingly employees as well as who use the technology as well. So we're doing a lot of work around employee experience because I think it's, you know, the new interesting differentiator for a lot of brands and clients you know, to help attract employees. That is, you know, what we are seeing across the client's needs as well. And I like the way you're defining innovators and explorers as well. The main topic of the session today was, you know, digital innovation is a business innovation, right? So let's talk a little bit more about why is digital innovation important? What is it all about? You know, what should clients be thinking about or doing? And also, you know, if you've got some examples where some of our clients are actually leading the way, I'm pretty sure our audience will be you know, delighted to hear that. Yeah, sure. I mean, to the question, you know, why is it important? I think you almost need to take a step step back a little bit and, you know, think about brands today. You know, I think there's, there's a number of surveys out around brands really being in this fight for relevance and ultimately survival. I think there's a Havas report that said 77% of brands could simply disappear today and not a single customer would care. And if you think about that, that's an enormous shift from, say, 10 years ago where, you know, we had staple brands that everyone bought and consumed, you know, they were kind of the lifeblood of large organizations. Today, that simply isn't the case anymore. You know, to illustrate that point again, if you think about today, we live in a world, as an example, where a 16-year-old new car entrant, Tesla, with an entirely different business model, is worth more than the dominant car makers of the last 100 years, the Fords, the General Motors. You know, that for me is a startling example of this point around brands fight for relevance and ultimately survival. You would never say that about a Ford or a General Motors you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So as Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So that quote is very relevant to, Lindsay, what you're talking about with regards to innovation. Yeah. Even though Ford is an innovative company from early 1900s, uh, hasn't been able to keep up with uh, someone like Tesla. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that the disruptive power of innovation is no respecter of brand heritage. There are, you know, numerous examples you can think about where, you know, the, the dominant brand of the era is no, is no longer. So, you know, what, what's causing that? You know, why do companies fail to capitalize? Often, you know, they're, they're clearly brilliant teams. Kodak invented the digital camera. You know, Xerox invented most of the technologies that we use in personal computing today. So if they created, you know, those game-changing innovations, why have they failed to capitalize on, on that? And for us, largely what we're seeing is, you know, organizations either seem unwilling or unable to do or implement the right business model to take those technologies into the market. That is a huge, huge challenge for a kind of dominant business today. How do you take that innovation and use it to can reshape and reimagine the whole organization? If you build on that, Lindsay, uh, clearly Tesla is taking the leap in this innovation world, given the company is almost starting with a clean slate, right? And when you look yeah. at the enterprise and the dominant business, as you describe them, there are a lot of challenges within the business itself, right? And I'm sure in your experience at BB and also outside in previous roles, 
you must have seen, you know, some of these challenges that big corporates are facing today. It'll be great to kind of see, you know, or hear what those challenges are from your perspective. You know, for me, it, it, it kind of comes into three categories. For successful companies today, I guess it's, you know, difficult to imagine a time when that success may stop. And again, you know, history talks about lots of examples like Nokia and, and other businesses that have fallen into that trap. But I, so I think it takes a kind of particularly prescient type of leadership if you're the incumbent and a kind of major player, it's probably lacking in most organizations today. You know, I think the successful transformations of those kind of big established leaders are, you know, you, I listened uh, recently to um, you know, Microsoft and Satya Nadella in terms of, you know, the transformation he's taken that organization on from a very kind of successful starting point as well. So I think there's a lot to be learned around that and this kind of type of leadership, as I mentioned. Closer to home for us in terms of clients, it'll be interesting around things like BP and reimagining that organization to be net zero by 2050. That's a big, huge, audacious goal. And, you know, the leaders of that organization have to keep that in mind in order to change it. I think, you know, the challenge that comes from that is successful business model today. The management are largely tasked with exploiting that advantage to its fullest extent. So they're organized to manage that successful business model, the company structures, the operations, the process, the tools, culture are all geared towards you know, what they've always done to a degree. So if you think about breakthrough innovation, it rarely fits into existing business structures. So I think that's a huge challenge for clients. And we see that. And also we help clients around how they can navigate that. And there's a kind of spectrum of things that they can you know, do to, to navigate that challenge. I think the second point is, and the second challenge that we find is organizational changes are hard. You know, as I said, companies that are structurally organized around a successful business model find it really difficult to implement new innovations. So I think you either strike lucky and that you create an incremental innovation that fits into the current structure or generally, and what we find is huge innovations don't fit into those company structures. And therefore, if you don't change the structure, you're likely to fail with it. Um, I think the third point kind of quickly is, and again, it's a, a kind of, I'm borrowing a quote um, from Seth Godin. So you have to recognize that no organization ever created an innovation. The people innovate, not the companies themselves. So that is a big cultural challenge around providing people with the framework and the autonomy to make decisions to often fail. And again, you know, the successful companies that we find are the ones that enable organizations to work in that way. Once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design and future work. We're here with Lindsay, General Manager, Europe for Brilliant Basics. We're talking about digital innovation is business innovation. So, you know, can you give us some examples of which companies, doesn't need to be a BB or Infosys client from your perspective, which are actually taking this in their stride and actually innovating through the three categories that you defined? We have some telcos clients at BB who are really, you know, delivering against that kind of pressing leadership that I mentioned. So they're successful organizations, but they've taken a bold leap around, in one instance, reorganizing the whole of the organization around four or five customer journeys from the technology stack through to the way that the business operates through chapters and squads and doing that on a wholesale level through the organization. And that is, you know, that's at the kind of further end of the spectrum I kind of mentioned around a really bold step to actually change the organization, focus on what's important and set it up to succeed for the next, you know, five years or so. Uh, we also have examples, again, close to home around clients 
again, taking this kind of bold step around setting up almost like an enterprise startup. So in recognition of the challenges of making those changes, you know, doing something very, very bold in which they're almost starting with a kind of green field. They are reimagining the kind of technology that they need to use to serve their customers. They are uh, attracting the right kind of talent to that organization. And they're setting up in a, in a separate entity um, in recognition of, you know, the core business declining over a period of time and then the new business emerging very rapidly to change the perception of that business you know to their customers so you know there i think there is this kind of spectrum of where you sit as an organization and the challenges and forces of disruption that you're being impacted you know with and organizations are kind of reacting to that in different ways depending on you know as i said the the need to transform for some in some categories where there is huge disruption talking about the pace of change being in the next three to five years so not a huge amount of time to you know get organized and completely change the business for others, you know, it's, it's slightly slower. So they're allowed to, you know, they have the kind of luxury of almost like experimenting with delivering transformation rather than it being kind of fundamental pillar of the whole business going forward. Yeah. And it's hard, right? So, you know, to change people who've been in the company for 25, 30 years and expect them to do something really different, the muscle yeah. memory is simply not there, right? And I think, you know, that brings me to my next kind of subtopic, Lindsay, which is about the industry vertical. So, you know, if you look at the industries that have taken the leap, you know, when I started BB in 2012, financial services companies were leading the way. They're investing a lot in digital transformation and making the financial services, be it retail banking, wealth management, global banking markets, uh, really accessible and easily deployable through digital channels for their customers and clients. Now, eight years down the line, right, other con- other verticals are catching up. And you know, what I would like to discuss in this section is what kind of business are affected by this digital innovation? And in your view, are some industries affected more than the others? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point. All businesses will be affected to play back an often used quote, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. You know, the pace of transformation differs within different categories, but I think ultimately all organizations will be will be affected. I think the ones that are kind of particularly under threat are, you know, the ones where there's completely new business model has emerged and a completely different changing customer need has emerged as a result of these, um, you know, kind of innovative, you know, startups in many ways who are providing a service that actually is more tailored to what clients want today. So you've got this kind of convergence of a way of working that is the way it has been for a very long time um, now competing with something that looks more more customized to the clients more personalized more flexible as well and actually you know those are the things where that is happening within a within a sector you know those forces are the things that are going to make change happen quite rapidly then you've got other sectors where you know that i guess the costs to you know, join those categories is significantly higher and therefore the pace of of wholesale innovation is a little bit slower. It's being done at the kind of edges and the margins, but there isn't a kind of fundamental rethinking of the way that services are provided to customers. So I think, you know, that this where there are low kind of barriers to entry, where there are kind of adjunct businesses or innovations that allow clients to kind of nibble away at some of those, you know, traditional areas. 
that that gets pace and momentum pretty quickly. It becomes the kind of new new thing. If you think about, you know, we're all working from home today, and if you think about uh, the the advent of kind of Zoom as an example, you know, that I think that's a sort of interesting versus say the more traditional players that are delivering services in a more flexible way in a way that the customer wants with a lower cost of entry. Suddenly, if you do that at scale and you can get the distribution, you become a very powerful threat to the usual incumbents that you know everyone kind of knows in terms of people like Webex or those kind of guys as well. That is um, a brilliant way of kind of get the topic started about verticalized kind of view. And, and the more and more I think we discuss this, Lindsay, I realize that, you know, the whole CMT sector, comms, media and telco sector is affected massively by this. And also it seems that they're ready to go away from their classic, you know, hardware network based business to, uh, you know, the digital innovators, right? So I'm going to switch gear a little bit here and talk about, you know, the telecommunications industry in terms of what they're going through. And we've got quite a few of these examples examples in our books with uh, some clients in Australia, clients in North America. You know, you have been leading an engagement with one of the largest telcos in Europe right now. Just talk about telcos. Uh, you know, why do you think their business model is particularly under threat at this point in time? And the second question for you is, do you think telcos can survive in a world that is dominated by these digital native companies, right? Be it Zoom, for example, which is becoming a telco company, right? They're providing hard Hardware, but software enabled. Uh, you've got your Fangs, which is you know Facebook, Alibaba, Amazon, you know uh, Netflixes and Googles of this world. So it's an interesting dichotomy of challenges that's coming from various parties internally and externally. And some of the traditional telcos might not be as comfortable as they were a few years back. Yeah, I mean, I think the the conundrum is the sort of historical competitive advantage they had in the, you know, fixed lines, network, infrastructure, the things that made them attractive to, you know, big corporate clients, for example, is now becoming the kind of disadvantage because that has meant that they, you know, relied on that to a large extent. They probably haven't innovated as, as much as they needed to. And what's happened now is, you know, that whole business model is certainly in some categories within telcos is now less relevant today to a lot of clients. They want, you know, different ways of engaging. They don't want to sign up for a, you know, five-year multi-million program they want to be able to have the flexibility that recognizes the changes that they will have as an organization. The services that they offer are also having to change as well, like dramatically. So the, as I said, the thing that made them and gave them a competitive advantage to a large degree is, unless they take kind of bold action, is hampering them in this kind of new world. So that's a huge leap in terms of, you know, what's our value proposition and is it has it changed to such a degree that we have to completely reimagine the whole organization as a result of that? And I think, you know, some telcos businesses are recognizing that in certain, you know, media companies are certainly recognizing that. If you think about the kind of disruption of, you know, what Netflix has achieved and, you know, Disney Plus launched in the UK recently as well and the, and the kind of recognition of the thing that they traditionally did. It's, it's kind of more of the same, I think, in a faster pace in you know, telcos, because of the rise and dominance of Amazon and AWS and Google and those guys who are offering some of the similar services, but doing so in a much more cost-effective, much more flexible, much more kind of personalized way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for many, that is what they want going forward. 
And with regards to the change that you're seeing, you know, without naming the client name, they've taken a completely different model, haven't they, in terms of the way they're going to take this organization forward without creating this sense of, you know, there's a shiny thing that's happening out there and there's some boring stuff happening here, right? They've kind of created a model whereby they believe that by bringing this digital and physical components together, they can actually start to build a culture of innovation that was not possible before. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I think as it's a bold move. Um, I think the interesting thing is how do you deliver that in a way that doesn't impact your existing business, but recognizes that your existing business is changing over a, over a period of time? I think, again, you know, we across a number of clients, it's not like you're, you know, betting everything on one versus the other. I think there is a degree of, you know, going back to the kind of prescient leadership point of, of uh, almost treating them these kind of enterprise startups as a, you know, like if you had a seed fund, you give them some funding to demonstrate that they can make progress. There are, you know, quite aggressive timelines around some of the things we're doing with clients that is completely alien to what they've done historically. If you can demonstrate that that succeeds, you know, you get more funding and the thing scales over a period of time. So, you know, for me, that's an interesting way of, um, large organizations going down this path, you know, making progress relatively rapidly and also doing so in a way that they know can have a larger impact on the rest of the organization if they can get it right. So I think that's a, you know, an interesting model that we're working with specifically on one client, but I do think it has a lot of relevance to to other large organizations who are faced with similar challenges. You treat it like a startup, give them the funding, set some stringent targets in terms of progress, demonstrate that they can deliver against that, and then kind of reassess and, and develop, you know, the roadmap and scale it once you've got to that point where you can see that it's being successful. Yeah, and um, you know, hopefully we'll see a, a major change in the ways of working that other parts of the organization can learn from this, almost like a learn fast experiment, right? So, you know, with a bit of a rail guards kind of on to kind of support the directional outcome they want to achieve from these enterprise startups. Let's talk about the companies who are doing this, right? And the companies who are actually still thinking about it. And I think this comes out in the report as well. People who are sitting on the fence and waiting for visionary or explorers to kind of show them the way. What's your view, Lindsay, in terms of, you know, what's going to happen if in a large enterprise businesses actually do nothing to change? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good point. I think doing nothing is not a strategy. Your competitors are always doing something if they're innovating, they're adapting, and then they're educating, then they the, they're the ones whose products, you know, are going to succeed. So I think you... Again, kind of history is listed with examples of people who've kind of done nothing a bit. So I, I just don't think that that's an acceptable strategy anymore. And I don't think, you know, large organizations, the instances of that where they're kind of doing nothing are few and far between now. I think the, the one of the key challenges is what is that strategy? Are you going to cover multiple different areas to kind of hedge your bets? Are you dabbling in a certain, you know, kind of startup area? Are you setting up kind of innovation labs? You know, are you doing it in a way that, you know, makes the organization feel like it's responding, but not necessarily delivers innovation that's going to change the organization? And this is a common challenge that we find with a lot of our clients as well, is that, you know, they're doing many of the right things. They've set up innovation labs, they've set up centers of excellence, you know, they're training all their employees on design thinking, 
But if you kind of measure it around what are the five to 10 unicorns that are going to transform that business and the whole operating model and the, and the organization at large, you know, delivering that is the, you know, the kind of key challenge. And many clients, they've got to the point where they've done some of those things, but they're sitting back and they're saying, what difference does it make to the whole organization today? How is it changing our business? So sitting back and watching is clearly not an option. And, you know, like you said at the beginning, the report says that 77% of the brands will disappear in next 10 years and people wouldn't even notice, right? So yeah. that's, a, that's a good way to wrap up the conversation, Lindsay. Thank you so much. And we have a tradition in our podcast that we can't let you go unless you talk about a book you're reading or you've read that might be useful to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think one that I'm reading or I just finished is called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. The author is a chap called Bruce Daisley, who was the, I think, the CEO of Twitter in Europe. And the Microsoft example I mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, he covers in his book around how does an organization such as a successful organization, such a dominant organization as Microsoft, how does it transform that business? And it, and it goes into quite a, a lot of uh, in-depth around the journey that they've gone. So it's a, it's a kind of fascinating read. So I, you know, I think if this is a topic that you're interested in, you can learn a lot from you know, the work that he's done and the, and the book that he's created. That's a good one. And Lindsay, how can people find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And also we are you know, posting quite a lot of work from BB on Medium as well. So look out for those. We're doing quite a lot of work around future of work. So again, you can, you can find all those things through those channels. Amazing. Thank you, Lindsay. That was Lindsay Wall, General Manager at Brilliant Basics in Europe. Lindsay, thanks for your time. It was really interesting. And I'm 100% confident our listeners will enjoy listening to this uh, really important and interesting topic. Thanks very much, Anna. Everyone, you have been listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future work. Thanks to our producer, Yulia Debari, and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.